there was one week that that this friend of mine could not take me okay so i had to get there myself and i had just one of those early university deathly hangovers like you just want to die and i dragged my butt out of my house and i went and i sat in the back pew with my head between my legs in mass trying to keep my stomach down, trying to make the room stop spinning. And I was sitting there by myself and I had brought myself. And all of a sudden it clicked and I went, why am I here? Like, I could just walk out, but I'm here, like I, suffering to be here. And that was the moment that I went, okay, maybe it's time to take the next step and make a commitment. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Coaching is a privileged space for me. To learn the stories of those that I get to spend time with. The secret of great leadership is getting people right over and over and over again. Now this isn't easy but it is possible and no two coaching experiences are alike because no two clergy are alike. Their stories are just that, their stories and they form their perspectives, attitudes and beliefs. The same is true for the teams they learn to lead out of. Today's episode will give you a bit of Ronnie Lund's story. Ronnie and I worked together on the ministry team at St. Benedict Parish. We all have a story. Enjoy this episode. Lift off and the clock has started. As many of you are aware, my time at St. Benedict was very formative for me. It really was where I got to take my passions, beliefs, experiences, pains, bring them to task to try to do something cool with a whole team of people who loved Christ as much as I did and work in teams in ways that I'd only dreamed of. One of those people that I got to work really closely with was Ronnie Lunn, who was our youth coordinator, youth director at the time. And he is our guest today. Welcome to the show, Ronnie. Thanks for having me, Ron. It's great to be here. (laughs) It's nice to reconnect this way. It's going to be a lot of fun. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because your story impacted me when I got to know who you were, how you got to a place of faith in Christ. I just found your story so compelling because you were involved in Wicca at one point. And, and I love how, how you approach things with a lot of study, a lot of research, and a lot of intentionality. And so the go from being involved with Wicca to coming to Christ. I just, it was just such a journey. And I would love for you to take us on that journey today for our listeners. Just <laughs> tell us a little bit about, about yourself and, 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 and what drew you in that direction and maybe how you came to place of faith in Jesus. Sure. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. So first of all, just for people who don't have a concept of what Wicca is, they might never have even heard the word. There might be people who just have just a, a brief concept of it. It's, it, it can sound crazy, but it's, it's known as a neo-pagan religion, meaning like a new pagan religion. And, and the goal is that they're trying to sort of reclaim a pre-Christian um, worldview uh, in the way of like, you know, the, 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 particularly the European, the pre-Christian European peoples. 
um, which is tough because we don't have a lot of documents <laughs> that sort of talk about those things in, in real, in real uh, tangible ways when it comes to like ritual and the daily experience of the everyday farmer who had no idea how to write. Um, so they're trying to reclaim this thing that is, that is for more and more or less lost. Um, but, but the main way that they're trying to do this uh, is start it kind of in the 40s and 50s. So it's, it's quite old, but it, it made its way over into North America in the 70s um, and really kind of took off in the 90s, which is when I was kind of first, uh, first faced with it. But uh, it, it, it sounds odd to us as, as modern people, but, but in, in the mindset of people at that time, it made perfect sense. Like Winston Churchill, right? So we think of Winston Churchill, the great World War II orator, you know, leader of the free world who kind of took on the Nazis and, you know, was take no, take, take no bones kind of person. Um, he, he was a Druid. Like he, he dressed in robes and went to Stonehenge publicly, right? This was not a secret. This, so modern people, we find this odd, but at that time it, it was, it's basically a fraternal club, right? It's kind of the gentleman's club, but it had all this ritualistic styling around it that was really popular in the, in the 20s, 30s, 40s. This was a common thing in, in the UK and throughout Europe, okay? So this is how Wicca kind of starts. It grows out of that sort of fraternal, secret society, trying to reclaim this pre-Christian identity, European identity, um, is kind of where it comes out of. Uh, and so a man named Gerald Gardner, he's the one who kind of picks this off. He's an interesting fella. If you look up a picture of him, he looks a bit wild and crazy. <laughs> he's... Uh, but, uh, but he, he's the one who started this whole thing and started to gather a group of people around him who from there kind of went out and spread this like really today throughout the world, right? This mm -hmm. is not, it is niche, but it's not so small that you, that you would never encounter a Wiccan person, right? You probably right. have met a Wiccan person at some point in time, even if you don't know it. Gotcha. Um, in, in fact, my, my wife, um, was, I was helping her upload a library book the other day to her e-reader. And I said, oh, the publisher of this book is Wiccan. And she said, they are? How do you know? And I said, well, because the name of the publisher is one of the eight high holidays of the Wiccan faith, <laughs> right? Like, and no one would have known that. It's, it's like this right. weird, weird Anglo-Saxon word, right? But I, right. I knew that. So it's, it's not so foreign that, that you're never going to encounter this. You might just not be aware of it. Cool. Um, I, I was hit with this through, through the media of my time, right? There, there was this period in sort of the late 90s, mid to late 90s, where there were multiple shows that had Wiccan characters or were discussing Wicca movies. Um, the craft was a really famous one. Buffy, the vampire slayer. One of the main characters was, was Wiccan. Um, now it had all the stylistic things of they were doing real magic. Right. But right. the core fundamentals of sort of the philosophy of the faith were still built in there. And so right. that's what I kind of took an interest. In. Um, Wiccans do practice witchcraft, which sounds weird and wonky again, <laughs> but really, in reality, what it looks like is not much different than prayer, right? Um, they, they know that they're not trying to make things float or make things blow up or, you know, that that's not. They ride around on brooms and stuff Yeah, like they that. don't ride around on brooms. Brooms are a thing. They are a thing. Oh, okay. Well, cool. <laughs> just, uh, pardon me. <laughs> they just don't ride around on them. They're used for ritual cleaning. That's actually what they're used for. <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> and uh, so all of these, these trappings that uh, I, I became involved in this because I was interested in it. Uh, when this happened, the internet was a, was a new thing. Like I'm, I'm not so, so old or so young that I don't remember the, the institution of the internet. I was one of the few people on my street who had it, you know, remember dialing in, someone picks up the phone and you're booted off, mom, hang up the phone. <laughs> you know, you kicked me off the internet. 
but it was so slow. But but this was the first time that that we had access to it, like sort of small town that I was from. Yes. Like you have access to this whole wide world of information. Mm. I loved reading. I was always passionate about reading. And so I started looking up, you know, about Wicca. And I was always spiritually curious. I grew up in a family that it wasn't talked about in the home. We were not a Christian home. Um, my grandparents were not affiliated with any church. You know, they didn't attend church. Um, mm. The closest that the closest we could track back is kind of like um, my, my family's from the Annapolis Valley here in Nova Scotia. And so they kind of have this loose affiliation to the Baptist church down there, but they're certainly not adherent in any way, shape or form. We have some pretty sketchy things in our background. Don't we <laughs> so, all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they were living on the mountain, like running rum and, you know, it's, <laughs> so they, they weren't the, the most Christian like people. Um, my grandfather was always spiritual curious, spiritually curious, and that sort of influenced me a little bit as well. But these things were not, uh, I'll tell you one, one time uh, my, my wife here put out, we put out our nativity scene when we first bought our house, mm. she was outside getting ready to go to work. And there were these young boys walking by going to school and they were talking about the nativity scene, wondering what it was and who these people were. And we're in Advent, right? So my wife, who's cradle Catholic, she <laughs> tells me about this and she's like, how could they not know? Like how dumb are these kids that they have no idea that this is the nativity scene. And I said, Melissa, I, I would have had no idea. I really, I didn't even realize until I was a teenager that Easter was about Jesus. No, I just thought it was Easter bunnies and chocolate, right? That was it. Um, So this, so it's not even like in, in my life growing up, it's, it's not even a concept. I I had Christian friends who would kind of engage me about it a little bit, but, but I went down this road of exploring Wicca because Mm -hmm. I was kind of the odd child. I was kind of the odd kid out, you know, I was a little nerdy and I, and I liked weirder things and, and and I liked these shows and I was attracted to it. But what it got me into was actually going really deep into it um, and doing a lot of, like you say, research and reading and learning the history. And then I was at the library and there was a sign up for a meeting of people who are Wiccan in my little tiny small town. <laughs> right? Best day ever. So, yeah. So I take the number and I call this lady and I'm like, hey, I want to come out. And, I, and at this time, I'm, I'm about um, 16 or so. Um, okay. And I, I've been reading about this for a couple of years and, and sort of uh, buying books and stuff like that. There, there, there used to be uh, a Wiccan store in Halifax okay. downtown. And so I'd go in there and buy books to read it's, uh, and, and all the different things that you would need. And I sort of did um, uh, Wicca, Wicca in, in North America became really focused on solitary practice for the individual, rather, whereas the, the European was more group focused. So I was doing stuff by myself, um, but then became involved in this group. And that's sort of when it went deep and I would define myself as this, right? It wasn't gotcha. this sort of, wasn't this, this weird spiritual exploration. It wasn't this wanting to be the weird kid. It, it became a part of who I am in the same way that today being a Christian is a part of who I am, right? This okay. was, I, I figured I would marry a Wiccan woman. We would raise our kids Wiccan, <laughs> right? Like that's, I was, I was all in. <laughs> yes, gotcha. Um, and, and so, and so grew this group in my local town and started going to other meetings around the city as I got older and I could kind of transport myself better. You know, I'd go to all these other meetings um, at different libraries and community centers and all those sorts. Right. So that's, that's kind of. That's really neat. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Love it. So keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hanging on everywhere. (laughs) So um, the big change was when my grandfather passed away. Um, it was the summer between grade 12 and starting university. Okay. And my grandfather passed away. 
And uh, so just for some context, what Wiccans believe about the afterlife is very uh, based in Eastern, Eastern uh, religious practice. So reincarnation. Okay. It's that when you die, your spiritual essence kind of leaves and becomes somebody or something else goes into that and that is now this invigorating force. Okay. Gotcha. All of a sudden, I was very, very, very close with my grandfather. And this concept of reincarnation did not sit well with me. I wanted my grand, I wanted to, I wanted hope that I had the ability to connect with my grandfather in some way. And if he had died and his spiritual essence, whatever it is, had gone on, then my grandfather was kind of gone, like gone, gone. And there was no, there was nothing left of him, essentially. He was somebody new or something new, you know? Um, and all of a sudden, this thing that seemed really beautiful in theory gave me a feeling of destruction and fear, right? Mm. And like, for me, I was like, if I die and I become somebody or something else, there's this whole idea of karmic justice, right? That if you do well in this life, you'll get a better life. And if you do poorly, you'll be punished, which by the way, is a slippery slope to go down because you can kind of get to the point of anyone who has suffering in their life deserves it. <laughs> and, right. Um, but but it, it, all of a sudden I had to ask like, why do I matter? Like, if I'm just going to become something else, then Ronnie's gone, right? And there was this, it just became this destructive thing that I was unsettled by. Mm. So I started to just sort of slowly step away, just to take some small steps back from my practices, not meet with so many groups. Um, I, I still had my core group that I met with because I was very, very, very close with them. Um, but basically what happened was I was, I started university. And I was walking across the campus and, uh, and uh, in non-COVID times, <laughs> there's all these, um, all these clubs and groups and everything lined up with all these mm-hmm. packages to give to you. And yeah. so one of them was the Campus Crusade for Christ, which I think has a new name now. But at that time, they were the Campus Crusade for Christ. Okay. And yeah. I'm just taking it's free stuff. And I see that this, this package has like a book and a CD. And I'm like, nice. Like, oh, I'm a poor university student. I'll take that. <laughs> and I took it home, had a pile of stuff. I threw it in the corner of my room, right? Never looked yeah. at it for days. But finally, I was like, okay, I got to sort through this stuff and see what's here. There's this little tiny book inside of it that's maybe like 50 or 60 pages. And it was just called More Than a Carpenter. And the first chapter outlined, um, just like Alpha does, the, the, the trilemma, right? The, the Lord, liar, lunatic right. argument, right? And it just outlined that so simply. And it was the first time, even though I, I had grown up with Christian friends my whole life, it was the first time that I was hit with a logical rationale that I went, huh. I can't refute that. I have no, you know, I, I felt my whole life like Christians were this backwards, um, straight. Uh, now, here's the thing, coming from Wicca, like who am I to cast stones, okay? Strange, <laughs> like unscientific. And I'm like, like, but anybody on. not like us, sometimes yeah, exactly. we, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and so this book kind of just made me perk up and go, well, maybe, maybe I should give this a chance. Maybe I should look into this and just see what's going on. Um, and so I called a friend of mine who I had grown up with my whole life and she had always engaged me in discussions about the faith. And I called her and I said, Hey, like, and she always said all the time, she said, if you want to go to my youth group or you want to go to church or I'll take you anytime years and years and years, never, ever, ever took her up on the option. Uh, so I called her and I said, Hey, like, I, I'd like to check out your mass and see what it's all about. Like, I'm just curious. And she said, great. So I'll come, I'll, I'll pick you up at uh, six 30. And I said, and on Sunday, six 30 on Sunday. And I said, AM, cause I'm not in for this Christian thing. Then <laughs> She goes, no, no PM, PM, <laughs> you know, first year of university leading the secular life. Let's say Sunday mornings were not early for me. 
Um, <laughs> so, so she picks me up at 630 and we drive by like, like four Catholic churches. I'm like, is that the one? Nope. Is that the one? Nope. And she was very smart and took me to a church that had a really happening youth group, um, very, very passionate evangelical sort of congregation that they had there, modern praise and worship music, you know, and this is back like early 2000s. Okay. And, uh, and so like kind of a little bit ahead of their time in the Catholic sphere. Sure. And, uh, and so I had this, this experience where I just kind of looked around at all these young people and people around my age or just slightly a few mm-hmm. years younger and thought, well, geez, like they're all really into this. Right. And they seem like nice people. So I, I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't ready to drink the Kool-Aid, <laughs> but, but I was interested, right. If it has something for them, maybe it could have something for me. Okay. And so that's where it kind of, kind of started. Um, where I, I, I sort of decided to make a commitment. Now, this, this is a funny story. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight my sins in order to, to boast about God. <laughs> I, there was one week that, that this friend of mine could not take me. Okay, so I had to get there myself. And I had just one of those early university deathly hangovers. Like, <laughs> you just want to die. And I dragged my butt out of my house. And I went and I sat in the back pew with my head between my legs in mass, trying to keep my stomach down, trying to make the room stop spinning. And I was sitting there by myself and I had brought myself. And all of a sudden it clicked and I went, why am I here? Like I could just walk out, but I'm here, like I, suffering to be here. And that was the moment that I went, okay, maybe it's time to take the next step and make a commitment. And so sitting there with my stomach roiling and my head spinning, I prayed. And I prayed for the first time that was really authentic. God, you're real and I'm meant to be yours. Like, let it be known. Bring me to you. And so that was the, the commitment that was made um, there and then. And that was the real sort of turning point. From there, I entered into RCIA, um, which was really great because the priest took me on just one-on-one because I, I was young. Right? What's was, RCIA for anybody that might be oh, listening? That, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rite of Catholic initiation for adults. So it's kind of like Sunday school for adults, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so you do this thing for, for a certain period of time and then you're received into the church. I had not been baptized or anything like that. So I had to have the whole kit and caboodle, which in the Catholic church is baptism, first communion and confirmation all at the Easter vigil. It's like a three and a half hour, four hour long mass, longest mass of my life. Not the first mass that you should invite your mother to like I did, <laughs> but she took a number of smoke breaks. Um, <laughs> so she, she was as supportive as she could be. She had no clue what was happening here. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I did RCIA, uh, one-on-one with the priest because the only other people doing RCIA were quite a bit older than me. They were, you know, people yes. who were getting married and so they were, it was their, their spouse who was not Catholic becoming Catholic or whatever, which is, which is a common thing, fortunately or unfortunately. It, yes. um, <laughs> that's, a whole other conversation. Um, uh, and so I did it one-on-one with him. Cause he was like, you're not going to fit with this group, right? Like this, it's, right. it's not really the place for you. And so go to mass, meet with him. Uh, it was really great. I, and, and I had no, um, no reservations about questions to ask him or things to say, because I had no reverence, no, no prior reverence for this church thing. Mm. Right. So to ask him the questions that like most people would balk at talking to a priest that way, didn't bother me at all because that collar around his neck didn't hold any weight for me. Yes. You no, know, because I just didn't grow up in that culture. Right. Um, which was great. And he, he took yeah. it on and was, and was fantastic. And I bet he loved it. 
Yes. Because yeah, sometimes yeah. that that reverence, which isn't a bad thing in and of itself, but it can create distance. It can create you're different than me, you're other than me. And for priests, that can be a very lonely experience. And so to have somebody who's just earnestly asking amazing questions on their way to committing their life to a life of faith in the church, I'll bet you that still is one of the best experiences that priest ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a priest is trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and be a person of service. And that caller for some people can just be repellent. Yes. Right. So, yeah. and 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 to, to the heartbreak of the of, of the true priest who's really trying to do this ministry. Amen. Um, so so you know, here here we had these great, honest conversations. Um, and then I decided to take the plunge. Like I, I'm an all or nothing person. <laughs> you know, I'm either either I'm either all in or just not interested at all and indifferent to it. Um, and, and so I, I did it. I, I was received into the church, um, baptized, confirmed first, first communion, um, all by myself. My mother came, like I said, it was way too long for her. She took off. I went into the reception in the hall. I was all by myself, um, for a while. So, so here's, here's my really cool story that I want to share with you about, about my baptism. I've, I've been sharing this recently. Um, I had, I had, like I said, many friends growing up who were, who were Christian and Catholic who would engage me about faith. One of them came up to me at the reception. Um, so there I am, you know, white robe, you know, oil yeah. all over my head, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> feeling kind of lonely because the other people who were received into the church had these sort of big parties happening. Yeah. Right. And here yeah. I was just with, you know, with this one person who had been taking me to church and a handful of other people I had met along the way. Um, and so she comes up to me and, and she says, Ronnie, I went to high school with her. She says, Ronnie, when we would talk about faith in high school, she said, you said just the meanest, worst things about Christian said and she said that she would talk to her youth minister she talked to her pastor both this guy ronnie and how she felt like you know he was never going to come to jesus it was impossible this guy lost caught right she said some days she would go home and cry because uh -huh. i was so now this this person kept being friends with me shocking okay she says to me there that night she said if i knew that all of it was going to lead here i would have taken 10 times worse from you and that for me is one of the greatest witnesses to faith I've, I've ever had, right? Like to be willing to take on that suffering over and over and over to have this person eventually won over to Christ um, without any foresight of that and feeling hopeless in the process. Amazing. Wow. What a conviction of my heart. Um, yeah, she is a saint, right? Mm-hmm. To, yeah, to continue to love and to hope and to invest with uh, with a hope for a return, but not demanding it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So this yeah. all this Ron, it all kind of gives me. Um, thankfully, like if if I look back and thank God for all of these experiences that were perhaps not even of Him, but in pursuit of Him, ultimately. Mm. Yeah. Um. Uh, a, I, I'm thankful that it gives me a perspective that is so different from from a lot of other people's. Um, uh, it, you know, it's, it, I mean, everyone has their own story, their own experience and their own viewpoint in, in how they approach evangelization and, and ministry. Mm. Um, but man, I, I was so far from the church and I, I was even part of another religion, right? right. It was, it, it wasn't even a concept for me. And, and then to have such in, in the truest sense of the word, such ignorance about the church mm. and, and, and to some extent, like hatred of it as well. Right. Because I, I saw only the, only the news clips. <laughs> you know, where what I knew of the church right. um, and, and they're not so kind. Uh, and so that to me was the wholeness of the church and, and the thought that anyone could support this, this terrible organization, you know, I, I would never be on board with this. And then, 
here I am, <laughs> you know, doing what I do for Christ. Um, yeah, it gives me this sense of um, wanting to create a space for people to engage honestly, because I saw the great benefits of that. Um, yes. It gives me, it gives me a patience for people and their journey. Um, mm. uh, and, and ultimately seeing that even while I was doing these things that were so outside the realm, the, the realm of Christianity, that I was still ultimately pursuing God, as was every other person that I was encountering. Right. It was, it was this desire for God that was just, you know, misguided at the time. Thank, thank God it led me home. But. Mm. Wow. That's so cool. I, and I know, Ronnie, when we worked together at St. Benedict, my kids were really impacted by your passion, by your ability to preach, by your ability to just call down heaven uh, on those young people during those youth nights. Like mm -hmm. uh, my son would talk about you all the time. Uh, <laughs> he, he just was so inspired by you. He just, every time you opened your mouth, he was all in. And, uh, and it really impacted him. And, and so thank you for all that you did for all of those young people. It It's made such a big difference in people's lives. Yeah, mm -hmm. so fun. Yeah. And so let me, I just want to double back just for a quick second on two things. One of them is your grandfather. And so as you came to a place of faith, because I, I, I too, my grandfather, he's, he's one of the most influential people in my life. And, um, and I'd never seen him step foot in a church other than to go to a wedding. Um, but also never heard him say a bad thing about anybody and just the kindest man I've ever met. Um, but how did that change your, his death for you? Yeah. Um, uh, so that's interesting. So first of all, my grandfather was such an influential part of my life because um, I had an alcoholic father who, uh, who was never physically abusive, but was terrifying um, uh, and very emotionally hard and, you know, would sort of uh, throw fits that would lead in destructive ends. Um, and so that was, for me, my grandfather was, was the, the male figure, right? He was, he was my hero. He was World War II vet, fought on the front lines of France, um, you know, uh, could build things with his hands, like amazing carpenter built his own boat, taught me how to fish every summer. We went down to Chester basin, you know, and mm. fishing every single day, pulling in back when you could pull in macro, like you hardly even had to drop your line in the water. They were jumping in the boat. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, and so that's, so this is, this is the man who really invested time in me. And I saw him time and time again, whether it was Jehovah's witnesses or Mormons or whoever was coming, knocking on his door, he would invite them in, get them a drink, sit them down, chat with them. Like he was always curious about this stuff, right? Always mm -hmm. watching documentaries, all that sort of stuff. But like you, not, not a religious man in any sense, but certainly spiritually curious. Mm -hmm. um, and after my grandmother passed away, when I was very younger, that grew even more and more as he was sort of seeking that solace of, you know, where, right. where is my wife? Um, but so, so for me, when, when that changed over, um, I, I oftentimes like look to him for guidance, right? We, we have these people who are, who are perhaps saints unknown, <laughs> you know, unnamed um, or in that process. Um, and I, I do feel like there, there's certainly times that I, that I feel his presence, um, that I feel his guidance, that I feel his, his uh, you know, his, his desire, his will for good for me. I, I, I feel pleased uh, or that he's pleased with me. Um, and, and ultimately I can't wait to, to sit on a boat with him again someday and pull in mackerel, <laughs> it's, you know? Um, and, and so that's, that's nice, you know, and, and, and that certainly, it, I, I believe this all to be true. Um, but 
ultimately, I think that the coolest thing is to think that my grandfather who looked his whole life for Jesus knows him mm-hmm. now. Right. And that's the, that, that's one of the cool things. This is the shift, right? This reincarnation becomes someone else. Maybe you're the stray cat down the road. If you were a really terrible person, right. <laughs> right? But yeah. this idea that this is not the end, but that we are still a work in progress, even upon death, right. That, that this is not the end. Um, uh, that for me is the only way, you know, uh, St. Paul says, you know, don't mourn as those who have no hope. Right. It's like, I, I, I have, I, I have this real hope and I don't know what that's going to look like or feel like, or be like, and no, none of us do, but, but I I'm convicted that there's something there, <laughs> right. Yes. And that it's good and that it's of God. Um, and, and so that's, that, that's certainly the change there. Yeah. Which, which is, which is hope, just sheer hope. Isn't that so beautiful? I have a, a good friend of mine that you know very well because we work together. Uh, mm-hmm. Her name's Jen, and she contracted Alzheimer's two years ago, uh, over two years ago. And um, I've been caring for her, and, and it's very aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. At one point, she wandered in behind me uh, as we were doing our interview together. Yeah. And God gave me an image of heaven, oddly enough, um, in a prayer that was so real and so captivating. I was so engrossed and I became aware of this. It was almost like a a beautiful, bright kitchen with an eat-in area. And there's lots of people around. I could smell the food. Jesus was there. God was there. The saints were there. Like there's just all all kinds of people from, from scripture there and all kinds of people I didn't know. And it was just so peaceful. It was just it was so awesome. It was just so much joy and happiness. And there was zero tension. There was zero strife of any kind. And as I'm scanning the room, I saw Jen. Perfectly healthy. I can tell you exactly what she was wearing. It looked so peaceful. And so I kind of made my way over. And as I started to get closer, she caught me in her periphery and she looked to me with the most calm gentle face and she said hi and I said hi and she looked so content and healthy and she looked at me and she said thank you for everything you did for me Mm. and I just said you're welcome and then she turned back towards the activity and and I just carried on and was it ever a consolation for me because as I journey with her as a primary caregiver and she disappears right before my very eyes, I often, as I struggle with what that means and what that looks like, I see her in heaven and I, I talk to her in the sense that I say, mm-hmm. Jen, this is hard. There's some difficult decisions. Uh, I don't know. I'm doing a great job. And there's this, thank you for everything you did for me. Oh, I tell you, it brings me incredible peace. Listen, man, like, let's let, t- talk about that in, in, to talk about that in the sense of where it drives me as a leader in Christ's church, right? We, we live in a world, and this is, this is the household that I was raised in. It's that, it's that life sucks, it won't change, and it can't change. And there's no point other than to try to be as comfortable as you can until you, until you kick the bucket, right? And that's inevitable, and it's going to suck, and we're just going to go on the ground. Um, that, that is so so dark like i mean how could you even live with that and of course we see the effects of this mindset right within our culture this like when we talk about culture of death that's what i think of when we talk about that this idea that the only thing is is going to be death and and ultimately that's it 
um, that death has the final say, which we know as Christians, it does not. But man, if, if I lead out of a place of that, then how much of myself can I give in service to others who are needy? Like my whole upbringing was to get for yourself, right? Was to take and get and never owe anyone and, and whatever that took. And that could be a very immoral sort of way of, you know, if, hey, if it made my life easier, then sucks to be you, right? Um, and, and, and talk yourself up and, and be grandiose and just get ahead. Just get ahead at whatever cost. Um, and that was it. And it was simply a pursuit of, of comfort. And when anything uncomfortable came in, there was no giving up self. I, I remember one time my mother was over. We, we, got, we filed our taxes one year. And, and the, the Canada Revenue Agency did like an investigation on us because for, for our age range and how, what our income was, we gave so much, which is hilarious because to my mind, we weren't giving all that much, <laughs> right? I was like, we can give more and they're investigating us for what we give now. Like how, how sad is this that, that we're outside of the norm? Um, and, and so I tell my mom this, you know, we got to get all of our paperwork yeah. together and, and give it to the CRA. And she says, so you give all that money to the church? And I say, yeah. And she says, so what do you get for that? I go, nothing, right? And all of a sudden, I re- and I saw the wheels turn her head like it wasn't processing. She couldn't conceive of why you would give without then getting something like really tangible and right. beneficial to you, right? Um, and it, so she does, because she can't conceive of this spiritual, this spiritual reality that's taking place. Um, and, and so I just realized like, how, how different the ability to lead and serve is when there is this, this going forward, right? This, this never ending development of who we are to the person of Christ um, that it, yeah, I can give so much more of myself because I know that, it, that that's it. We're all going to be sitting together at some point, right? We're all going to be fishing in a boat, pulling a macro. We're all going to be sitting at a party. We're all going to, whatever it is, right? That's where we're going to be. And this right now is just a blip, <laughs> right? It's important. It's an important blip but it's ultimately just a piece of it, right? It, yeah. it's, it, it's just the beginning of, of the journey. Um, and so, yeah, I can give because there's, there's so much more coming. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I also wanted to double back around to, and, and uh, actually you really, to this day, I remember, because strength themes was an important part of what we did at St. Benedict Parish. And, mm. and uh, one of, I think your top one is context. It is, and, yeah. And even as, as people are listening to this, go back to this podcast again in the beginning and listen how Ronnie put into context Wicca. Like, he's just so good at it. And one of the things I really learned with working together, because I don't, it's, it's, it's probably my bottom third. Once I understood it, um, it was so fun to work with you because you have such great questions because your need your desire, your hunger to understand the bigger picture is so strong. And what's awesome about it is once you get that, like once that blueprint is filled in, oh my gosh, you never have to explain it again. It's like, just yeah. get out of the way. <laughs> that guy is building something awesome. But, but <laughs> as, as you know, it can be frustrating sometimes to get me to that point, right? Because I, I question after question after question. It's like, you know, like when one of my little kids is, dad, 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 dad. <laughs> I'm like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> what are you well, you must have learner as well dude do you remember your top five um yeah they they're i have um contacts maximizer um i'm just trying to pull them off the top of my head um communication communication yeah those, those are those are the three that i'm probably like like the the most i would say those are my top three because i'm the most powerful in those ones Love um it. yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's always so fun. And and I think you're, you know, with your context, you're maximizing your communication. Man, again, when you speak, because often just because you have communication doesn't mean somebody's a good speaker, but you are. And boy, you were able to put things into perspective for people that just in, in a way that's spectacular. And so I'm so excited for you. You just sent me a note the other day sharing with me that you have a new role at the Stella Maris Parish in Nova Scotia. Tell us a little bit about that role and what you're going to be doing. Yeah, sure. So, so my title is coordinator of evangelization and engagement, which is huge. Cause I said, when I was at St. Benedict, that was like four people's jobs. <laughs> so that's, that's actually true. That, that engagement portion, it's like evangelization is how do we bring people into the church? And then engagement is everything else. <laughs> sort of like on your job, in- <laughs> on your job description, when it says and related duties, that's what it is. <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot, right? Um, so, so uh, yeah, just finished up my first week, start, starting my second week there. This was, this was day five. Um, I, I was saying earlier, just before we started the podcast, that like two days felt like two weeks and three days felt like three weeks. And, um, just trying to get the lay of the land. This, this is a new parish, um, in an old, in old buildings. Um, there are certain buildings that, uh, are, are either closed or in the process of closing. There's yeah. a lot of, uh, pain there, a lot of pain and, and, and um, and separation within the church because of that. Uh, that's been going on for a long time. And we're at the point where, um, just like uh, my experience at St. Benedict, we're getting to a point where we have to move on. Um, uh, not to say that we don't care about those people who are hurting, but at, at this point, we, we have a mission. We have a vision. We have a focus. And we know that, that God is calling us to go somewhere and it's not to focus on building. If they all burn to the ground, Stella Maris still stands strong. Um, and so that's sort of where we're at. And, and once... This COVID, I mean, we're working within COVID, you know, we're doing an online alpha, we're doing as much as we can. I'm meeting with people like, like bananas. Um, but once this COVID protocol sort, sort of, uh, once these restrictions sort of lift, we know that we need to just take off because that's what the Lord wants. We have a new pastor who I'm dear friends with. Um, I, I'm Tell our listeners of, just a little bit about him just because it's really Sure. Cool. Yeah, he's interesting. <laughs> so, I'll have to get him on the podcast, but go Yeah, ahead. you should, you should. Yeah, um, well. So, so fa- Father Rob Elford is um he is a a roman catholic priest who is married and has children um he is he is one of the for us we haven't experienced this much in our area maybe some of the listeners know of the anglican ordinary ad and sort of the process for that there is a process that if you are an anglican priest um who converts to catholicism that there is a way for you to carry over that priesthood into the catholic church uh it's been around for a very long time i, I he spoke about it when he was ordained i remember but it's it's like 50 or 60 years or it's been around for quite a while yeah. Um, we just haven't experienced much in our local church. Um, and he has a great military background. You know, he's very driven, motivated, um, mm-hmm. lovely wife, lovely kids. And so, yeah, so he has this whole other vocation sort of outside of that, that, that Roman Catholics might not be as acquainted with. Um, and so, so now he's come into the church with all of the demands that, that a Catholic church puts on a celibate priest and he's mm-hmm. not celibate. Um, and so as a friend, before I ever had this job, it was a lot of me telling him, go home. Like you have another vocation, man. You need to go home, take care of your wife and kids. Like <laughs> that's, you were that before you were this. Right. Yes. Um, but what that means is, and for, for all of the Catholic listeners, what that means is a married priest needs a whole different level of support from yes. parishioners, from staff. And I'm really, you know, we, we have a bookkeeper and we have, uh, we, we have a receptionist, part-time receptionist. Um, we have an associate pastor, uh, Father Jose, and we have Father Rob. So I'm really the first person hired who's sort of like taking on other roles 
um, beyond just the, the day-to-day functioning of the church. Right. Right. That those, those mission oriented. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and father Rob has just such a huge heart that he, he knows in his core what needs to be done, but he just can't give it all, all that it needs. <laughs> right. So, so, uh, so it's been really great uh, for him to hire me. We've got a couple more hires coming on as well. We have, um, it's been a really great witness to the community. We have uh, two of the, the tiny shelters for yes. uh, homeless people here so that they can be in there during the winter. Um, uh, one of them, we pay to like shovel all the sidewalks and all that sort of stuff. And it's created amazing opportunities for them. Amazing community support. My wife took them down supper the other night. Um, so we're hiring someone for outreach for community outreach who is going to focus on that and so much more, right. Um, where, where I am here, um, in this parish, we have, uh, I, I looked up the statistics and in the Spryfield area, our parish covers more than Spryfield. Sure. Um, but in the Spryfield area, um, it's like 80% of the people who live here make under the average household income, right? Like significantly under, right. um, uh, the majority of our families are single parent families. Right. There's all of these sort of struggles that are coming along with it. We, we have public housing right here in our community, um, yeah. government funded housing. Um, I've, I taught there when I was a teacher. Right. I've, I've seen the sort of the, the um, ongoing generational struggles that, that are within there. Um, so this this for us is a key area of ministry um, on top of growing the church and bringing people to Jesus. We also have to care for their worldly needs. Um, and so we're, that's our that's our next hire. Uh, and then we also need to grow our youth and family ministry because this area is exploding and there's so many young families moving into the area. The population in Nova Scotia is growing tremendously. And this is one of the areas of growth. Um, so yeah, it's, it's exciting. I, I could talk to no, no end about it. <laughs> but I can um, feel your passion <laughs> and I really am excited and I will have him on, but I'll have you on again too, to talk about not so much your witness, because this has just been such a compelling witness. Thank you for sharing that with us, but also to talk about your, your ministry in the parish and what you're seeing, because this really is a, a reboot and to be on the ground floor of that. And so cool is father Rob also worked uh, with father James yeah. when, when he yeah. first became a, a priest and even before that. And so there's just so there's just, I just have so much hope for your guys' friendship, your collaboration and ministry and things like that. And just as a final note, as, as we wrap up, I, I also understand you, you're starting a new business. I am. So, so I feel like my, my brain has quadrupled inside and learning about in size, learning what it means to be an entrepreneur um, and, and increased my, my life stress quite a bit, but in a way that's exciting. <laughs> like right. if I, yes, if right. I wasn't stressed, I probably shouldn't pursue this. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what I'm doing is I'm opening um, essentially my own brewery. Um, but what we're making is it, it's, it's an old style of, 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 uh, of drink called mead. And so it's made with honey. So there's no grain, no gluten. So if you're like someone who's celiac or anything oh. like that, perfectly fine to drink. So the next thing coming, uh, I say in Nova Scotia, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this in Nova Scotia, you know, eight years ago, if you went to the liquor store, there was like three ciders on the shelf. Now there's whole sections of cider, right? It just right. exploded. Mead is that thing that's going to happen. It's already happening in other provinces. New Brunswick has a lot more meaderies in Nova Scotia. We have one that makes in our style. Um, so it's eventide mead. So eventide um, is is the time of day uh, on the seashore when it's transitioning from daytime to night and the tide kind of dies down and the winds die down and those daytime animals are sort of like going to sleep. And there's this real quiet. If, if, if you if you live in, a, in an area where you can get to the seashore, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Right. You know, the smell, the sound, the, the ambiance of it. 
Um, and so that's, that's Eventide. Um, and locally, here in our parish, we have a prayer night called Eventide, which is oh, where inspiration <laughs> came from. Uh, my, my business partner, my, my business partner was sitting in the prayer night and he goes, this, this would be a good name. <laughs> and so, and so that's what it is. It's Eventide Mead, M-E-A-D. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram at Eventide Mead, all one word. Uh, we're on there. We're just in the stages of getting booted. We're hoping to be uh, on store shelves in April is the goal. Um, and so we're just getting everything set up so you can see videos of us dragging in tanks and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ronnie used to do, I don't, I can't imagine you have time for it anymore, but used to do strongman competitions. So you probably don't need a forklift. You're probably putting them on your back (laughs) and lumping them in just for a workout. So anyway, Ronnie, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today and may God bless you in your ministry in this new role. It's I'm so excited for you. I can feel your passion as you, you take your faith into this focus and, and to be an entrepreneur is such a fun thing. I think that's really going to be exciting for you too. So God bless you and your family in the ministry. And thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Ron. One of the reasons Alpha was such an integral part of our parish turnaround at St. Benedict and all the other churches that I've coached is because we get 11 weeks to learn one another's stories in a very comfortable and organic way. I find once I know someone's story, I'm less likely to judge and more likely to care deeply. If you're a pastor or a bishop and would like to discuss what coaching might look like for you, please reach out by going to ronhuntley.com and let's start that conversation. Make a difference this week. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.